Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. So let's go to his word. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, part 2 from last week. If you weren't here last week, let me catch you up really quick. We're talking about crisis and crisis management. And more than crisis management, we're looking to the crisis manager. Come and understand how God works in the midst of our troubles, trials, tribulation, crisis, and how he brings us through. So in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, uh, we learned last week that a crisis is an unwelcome but necessary motivation to seek the Lord. So write that in your notes. Crisis, unwelcome. You don't want one, do you? No, you don't. Not today, not tomorrow, not any time do we want one. But they come, whether we want it or not. So we have to be ready. So a crisis, unwelcome, but God uses it as a necessary tool to move us closer to him, to move us from where we are to where he wants us to be, to move us out of a life that is focused on ourselves to a life that is focused on him. And a crisis is often the way he uses. A crisis becomes a school of prayer for the people of God. Remember that last week? Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat feared but set himself to seek the Lord. And so all of Judah, all, all the people start coming out of the villages and towns because they were in trouble. There was a huge, vast army. Three nations had gathered themselves against Judah. And they were scared. It, it was like the uh, Nazis had organized at the border and they were about to come in to destroy the nation. You know what Jesus said about the, the devil? He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And these were agents of the devil wanting to wipe out God's people, wanting to wipe out, they thought, the destiny of God's people, wanting to wipe out, Satan did, that destiny that was going to lead to a little town called Bethlehem. If you could wipe out Judah, there wouldn't have been a Bethlehem. But praise God, we have a crisis manager, and he was engaged in this battle, and he was with the people. Jehoshaphat feared, but then he sought the Lord. Remember, I shared with you last week how important it is. Yeah, we're going to get afraid. Yeah, your, if your heart doesn't raise when you get bad news, you need a new ticker. It's not working. Your heart begins to race. Your mouth goes dry. Your stomach knots. But the time from when all that's happening, the time when you seek the Lord is critical to go right to him. Before you do anything, seek the Lord. You may do things after that, but first thing, seek the Lord, even as you're driving to the hospital. Even as you're hanging up the phone. Uh, you don't hang it up anymore, do you? <laughs> Whatever you do with it. <laughs> Throw it away. <laughs> but a crisis becomes that school of prayer. Remember what we learned? We learned that God is omnipotent. God is faithful. And we, we learned that he's a promise keeper. And Israel stood on that. As the people of Judah, they stood there before the temple. Jehoshaphat led them in prayer. What a man of God. Just a tremendous story. You need to go back over those first verses. But what I want you to see this morning, especially as we look more deeply, particularly at verse 13, a crisis becomes a God-given opportunity to shift from self-reliant to God-reliant. 
This is critical. I think the key verse in this whole chapter 20, when Jehoshaphat looks to the Lord and he says, for we have no power against this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Can I, I tell you, that's where God is working always to bring us to that point. To bring us to that point. If you've never felt a need for God, he'll bring you to the point where you have to. And that's what's going on here with the whole nation, but it happens in individual lives. God brings us to that point when we realize something about ourselves and he moves us from being self-reliant, self-centered, and he moves us to being God-centered, Christ-centered, gospel-centered people. And why else are we here? But that's a great God in heaven who's concerned about everybody in this room getting you ready for heaven, making you more like Jesus. And he's at work. He's working, working, working. And he uses anything. He uses even some tough things to get us to that point. Now, I want us to look more closely at that. We have no power. That's what the king said, have no power. He was a powerful king, but he said, have no power. He was so powerful. In fact, if you look back in chapter 18, 17, look in 17. Look at verse 12. Just a couple of chapters before, this is describing Jehoshaphat's kingdom. It said, Jehoshaphat grew greater and greater. See that 17 verse 12? And greater. And he built fortresses and store cities. He had large supplies in the cities. Judah and warriors. Look at this. Warriors, valiant men. And then look at 14 through the end of that chapter. This was the muster. This, this was the men he had. He had, looking for 14, 300,000 valiant warriors. Look at 15. 280,000. Look at verse 16. 200,000 valiant warriors. Look at 17, 200,000 armed with bow and shield. Look at 18, 180,000 equipped for war. And besides these were those who were stationed in the garrisons around Judah. Now you tell me, was he powerless? In human terms, was he powerless? No, he had a vast army. Add those up, somebody smart. How many soldiers did you get? Over a million. Over a million. And then he stands there before his people and says, we have no power. Looks to God, we have no power. Because there's a point when you realize all the stuff you have, all the stuff in the bank, all the plans that you've made, all that stuff will not stand the test of time and is no good in a crisis. We need the Lord. And so he turns away from that self-reliance and his own ability and he looks to the power of God. Have you ever heard this before? Have you heard something like this? When a, when a man like, uh, well, when Jesus himself said, I'm the vine and you are the branches. If I abide in you and you abide in me, you'll bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. I mean, you can do something. You get up, get dressed in the morning, go to work, go to school. You can do something, but you'll do nothing that has eternal consequences. You'll do nothing that's going to establish a home that has value. You'll do nothing that establishes a life that's destiny is eternity with God. That's what he's talking about, that kind of power, that kind of life. 
living for him. Have you ever heard this before? Uh, when Paul got to that point, he realized how helpless he was. And he prayed three times for that thorn to be removed. Remember the thorn in the flesh? And he prayed and he prayed and prayed and nothing happened. And then he heard from God. What did God say? My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So we're dealing here in the Old Testament with eternal truths that are brought clear to us in the New Testament that our own strength amounts to nothing and we need a powerful, omnipotent God living in us. We have this treasure, where? In earthen vessels that the all-surpassing power may be seen to be of God and not of us. We confess our inability, we turn from self-sufficiency, we turn to him and his ability, his omnipotence. And then, Josephat says, I don't know what to do. I hate it when that happens. <laughs> when my boys looked at me and said, Dad, what are we going to do? And I said, I don't know. <laughs> or Marcia looks at me still and she says, well, what are we going to do, Bob? And I said, I don't know. I don't know. We turn from our confusion and we trust in his will. Turn from our confusion, trust in his will. Or how I, I thought about wording it this way. I think this is a little bit better, but I didn't want to offend anybody. We turn from our ignorance and trust in his wisdom. But I didn't know if you'd take it well if I said ignorance. <laughs> we can be awfully ignorant. Jehoshaphat just got ignorant. As my grandfather used to say, he was a dad burned knuckleheaded idiot. <laughs> chapter, chapter 18. Just look. Chapter 18. Can't read it all to you. But here's a massive mistake from a guy who had set himself to seek the Lord. But he, he just tried to figure things out for himself. And he thought it would be a good idea to make an alliance with a king in Israel by the name of Ahab. Do you remember Ahab? Do you remember who he was married to? Jezebel. And, and Jehoshaphat, in a moment of just stupidity, makes an alliance with that evil man. He even marries off one of his, was it one of his daughters? Yeah. He allied himself by marriage with Ahab. So he let one of his kids get married to one of Ahab's kids. And then Ahab talks him into going to battle. And he makes a little effort to consult with God, but he is like a little advice from God on the side, and I'll do what I think looks best here. And the end of it is, he has to run back to Judah to save his life. And Ahab is killed. When he was trusting in his own plan, when he did not lay it before the Lord and consult with the Lord and seek the Lord, he knew he messed up, so he wasn't going to do it a second time with the whole nation now at risk. And so he looks to God, Lord, I want to trade in my ignorance. I've messed it up in the past. But right now, right here, I'm going to declare and confess before these people, I'm going to trust in your wisdom. I'm going to trust alone in your wisdom. And, and then finally he says, but our eyes are on you. That's to confess absolute helplessness and hopelessness. I confess my hopelessness, my helplessness. And I trust in Christ alone. That's what he does. Now, I, I want you to see this is what I call the gospel shift. And it's so beautifully displayed here. 
the gospel shift from self-sufficiency to God alone is a sufficient source for my life and eternity. The gospel shift. I don't have power. You don't have power to save ourselves. We cannot save ourselves. You cannot live good enough. You cannot be good enough. You cannot try hard enough. You will never get to heaven on your own. I don't care. You can look around. You can see the finest people well-dressed and smiling. But apart from Christ, they're bound for hell. And that's the truth of the scripture. Apart from Christ, Christ alone can save. You, can't, you, don't have, you cannot get one inch closer to heaven by your own effort. You don't have the power. And we don't have the mind. You cannot ever grasp the glorious grace of God. You can't figure this thing in your head. I tried so long to figure out how it was that a man who died 2,000 years ago on a cross so far away, so long ago, had anything to do with me. Couldn't figure it out. My brain couldn't accept it. I couldn't understand it. It didn't make any sense. And then one day I just got to the end of myself and I cried out, I don't understand it, but I need it. And I put my faith in that cross, and I put my faith in that cleansing blood. I put my faith in that Jesus. And though I didn't understand, he understood me. He understands you. And by his wisdom, we are saved. Do you see the gospel in this old story? Where do you look? Where do you look? You look to Christ alone. My eyes are on you. My eyes are on you. Here is the gospel shift that must take place in the life of everyone in this room. It takes place when we enter the kingdom and then we live in that shift, always shifting from self to him, every aspect of our lives. Hey, let's move quickly through this because you need to see this aspect. So, so he confesses, don't know what to do, don't have any power, our eyes are on you. And, and it says there in verse 13, all Judah was standing before the Lord with their infants, their wives, and their children. All Judah was standing, standing before the Lord with their babies and their kids and their wives. And they were just huddled together, standing there before the Lord, before the Lord. Do you want to know what happens next? Well, you have to stand up. You'll, yeah. Yeah. This is what it was like. They were all standing there. They were waiting. The prayer was finished. Confessed their insufficiency, his insufficiency, the king. And they all stand there waiting. Just be patient. And then in the midst of the assembly, the spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, a Levite. And he said... Listen, Longview Point, all the inhabitants of Hernando and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not fear, do not be dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, it's the Lord's. Tomorrow go down against them. Behold, they'll come up by the ascent of Ziz, and you'll find them at the end of the valley in front of the wilderness of Jeruel. You need not fight in this battle. Station yourselves. 
Stand and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out and face them, for the Lord is with you. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground. And all Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord and worshipped the Lord. And the Levites from the sons of the Kotites and the sons of the Korahites, they stood up to praise the Lord of Israel with a very loud voice. They rose early in the morning and they went out to the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat said, stood and said, Listen to me, O Judah, inhabitants of Jerusalem. Put your trust in the Lord, your God, and you will be established. Put your trust in his prophets and you will succeed. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who sang to the Lord and those who praised him in holy attire as they went before the army and said, Give thanks to the Lord. For his loving kindness is everlasting. Give thanks to the Lord, for his love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord, for his love endures forever. And they began singing and praising the Lord. And when they did, the Lord set ambushments against the sons of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir that had come against Judah, and they were routed. For the sons of Ammon and Moab arose up against the inhabitants of Seir, destroying them completely. And when they had finished with the inhabitants of Seir, they helped to destroy one another. What a story. What a great God. Amen. Be seated. How, how did they get from the, pan <coughs> the panic of the first four verses? <coughs> Look at verse 30. From panic to peace. Look at verse 30. So the kingdom of Jehoshaphat was at peace, for as God gave him rest on all sides. Oh, that's, that's where we want to get, isn't it? Peace. On all sides, at rest. Just sitting there and, and, and resting and glorying in the peace and the presence of God. How do you get there from the, that panic? Right quickly, look to the scripture. What happens? Thus saith the Lord, verse 15. Peace comes by the Spirit through His Word. Through His Word. Everybody's standing there. They're waiting. I don't know how long they waited. It could have been a while. It could have been a, a period of silence. They're just all standing there before the Lord. I, some of them are muttering prayers, and there's some babies crying somewhere, and some kids just getting restless. And, but they're all standing there before the Lord. And then you hear this voice, and, and you, where does that come from? Who is that? Well, well, that's Jehaziel. He's one of the priests. Listen. Listen, all, all Jerusalem, all Judah, listen. So everybody's ears get tuned in, and they hear this voice say, Thus saith the Lord. What do we need to move us down that pathway from panic to peace? What do we need? We need a word from God. A word from God. And the word is given. Stop being afraid. Don't be dismayed. The battle's not yours. It's the Lord. It's a word from God. Where do you get a word from God? Where do we get a word from God? Well, you get it here Sunday by Sunday, do you not? Well, didn't God bring the most faithful, godly man to be your pastor for all those years from the beginning? Did he not stand here and preach you the word? 
week after week and after week? And do you not have this word in your home? Is it not even in your hand? Is it not even in your heart, the word of God? Where do you go to get from panic to peace? Go to his word. You know, not like some people do. You know, they just kind of helter-skelter about the way they, they look for something in God's word to kind of prove a point. I, I heard about one guy who was opening up his Bible and he decided he needed some help from God, so he opened up the Bible just at random, stuck his finger in, and he read it and it said, and Judas went out and hung himself. <laughs> he said, that's not good. So he looked some more and stuck his finger in there and said, go thou and do likewise. If you poke around the Bible like that, you're going to come up with all kinds of things that don't make a lick of sense in your situation. But if you get regular in the Word, if you're reading through the Psalms, you're studying that. You, just, you start a day with a Psalm, or you end a day with a Psalm, or you pick up a Psalm along the way. Read a Psalm. How, how about marking down some great chapters of the Bible? Psalm, or Psalm 23, and, and you get that in your heart. How about, jot this down, Romans 8, the whole chapter. I mean, just bathe yourself in Romans 8. Absorb it. Live, talk about it. And memorize parts of Romans chapter 8. How about 2 Corinthians chapters 4, 5, and 6? Go there. Where better place can you go? You know, we talked about going to the table of the Lord. Go to the table of the Lord. John chapter 13, John chapter 14, John chapter 15, 16, 17. Go to the table of the Lord when he met the disciples before he was to be taken. Talk about people being afraid, those 11 guys that sat at table with Jesus. They were scared. But Jesus is just speaking peace, speaking the word into their hearts, giving them hope for a future. So go to the, go to the scripture, the Gospel of John, and pick up the, that upper room discourse. Not only does peace come by the word, but peace comes by the Spirit through our worship. So the Word of God is given. And, and there is evidence that it is believed. There is evidence that it is received. There is evidence that they are going to submit to the Word of God. Because the king off his throne falls on his face to the ground. The king and all Judah, the men and the infants and the children and the wives, they all fell down before the Lord. It is a picture of abject worship, of, of gratitude, of the worthiness of God that he would care for folks like us and send us a word. And so they, they began to worship, worship. That picture of the king getting off the throne and putting his face in humility, humility, humbled himself before the Lord, the king. How many kings and queens do we have in here? Where we, we seek so often to rule our little domain. My will be done, my kingdom come, amen. Amen. I used to see Campus Crusade that was influential in my coming to Christ. There was a circle that they used to draw. It had a throne and a circle, and on top of that throne was an I that stood for me. I want to rule on the throne of my life. 
And then they drew another little circle next to it and had a throne. But the eye was off the throne, and on the throne was a cross. And I learned from the very first days of being a Christian that that's the real issue. Who's going to be king of my life? Who's going to rule today? Who's going to rule in this moment, in this circumstance? That's what real worship is, isn't it? That's what real worship is. I beseech you, by the mercies of God, that you would present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy unto God. This is your reasonable worship. Worship. Not only did they find the pathway to real peace was going to be through the word and then through receiving and believing and accepting that word and humbling themselves underneath the mighty word of God. But peace comes by the spirit as we live by faith. Verse 20, chapter 20. Put your trust in the Lord. This is Jehoshaphat. The next day, they're all assembled. And he stands up before them and says, put your trust in the Lord your God. And you will be established. Put your trust in his prophets and you will succeed. I find that interesting. That's, that's 2020. You see it? Let's go ahead and circle that and say 2020. Here's how I get to 2020 out of 2019, no matter what happens. Put your trust in the Lord. That's how the year's going to be. 2020. Put your trust in the Lord. Trust his prophets. Trust the word, the prophetic word of God that we have here, Old and New Testament. Prophetic word of God. And you'll be established. You're going to get through this year. God's at work. Trust in him. Don't you love from Isaiah chapter 40, they that trust in the Lord are those that hope in the Lord, those who wait on the Lord. It's all a matter of trust. Those who trust in the Lord shall renew their strength. They're going to mount up on wings like eagles. They're going to run and not get weary. They're going to walk and not faint. And here was someone in their midst that had a word from God, but now he's encouraging them to take this and by faith walk it out. Live by faith. Walk it out. Just We're going to go out and face the enemy. Walk it in faith. In faith. That next preacher, here's what I'm praying for you. That he will stand here week by week. He'll be your Jehoshaphat. And he will call you to faith. Walk in faith. Live by faith, and you're going to hear it week after week in this house. Live by faith. Here's what I'm praying. I'm praying he's going to raise up men and women of faith in this congregation. And all year long, you're going to be looking around at your fellow worshipers, and you're going to be reminding them, we're going to get there. God's got us on his pathway. You have faith. We'll have faith. How can, I, how can I pray for you? What's going on with you? When I look at the numbers of you here, and I think if God would just raise up every one of you to be an encourager, encouraging others to faith. Do you know what kind of a powerful church that makes when, when it's not just the preacher doing all the encouraging? It, it's you, and, and you're leaning 
over to the people next to you and the people in front of you and the people behind you and say, don't lose hope. We're going to get through this. God's with us. He's not abandoned us. You're going to make it. Us old people need it bad. <laughs> you young people need it bad. <laughs> and everybody in between. We need encouragement. Somebody, you know, the first time I ever walked in a Baptist church, there was an elderly man about my age now. <laughs> but he put his arm around me when I walked in that door. Hair down my shoulders, T-shirt and jeans and sandals. And here, this is back in 1969, 70. And uh, he, he put his arm, he said, son, you're going to come sit with me. And I came and I sat with him down front. First song was, there's power in the blood. Power. <laughs> I said, what's that? <laughs> He's looking down, smiling at me. There's power in the blood. <laughs> and I tell you, he, he met me uh, for weeks and weeks at that door. Come sit with me, son. And I, I, I just know part of the reason I, I'm ever in a Baptist church because an old man who just welcomed me in and because the preacher was preaching the Bible. And you, you put together a loving encouraging congregation and you put that with the power of word what a church oh and you you are it you are the church and finally peace comes by the spirit when we praise our way to blessing we praise our way to blessing it is kind of amazing when you think travis that you would lead the people out against the enemy and get your choir lined up behind you. All the bass and sopranos and the tenors and all those people. And get them all dressed up in choir robes. They're all dressed in white. And they, they head out and he leads the choir out. And here comes the choir. I, I'll tell you what. I, I still think if I was in that bunch, if I was b marching behind the choir, I'd say, what are we doing? <laughs> They're singing, and we're going to face the Nazis. Keep singing. Sing, Bob. Sing. Okay. <laughs> Give thanks to the Lord. His love endures forever. But I got a whole body of people around me, and they're all singing. And by the time I get there, I'm singing full-throated at the top of my lungs. Give. Thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. We need each other. You know, so, sometimes I hear some sorry people saying, I just worship out in the boat when I'm fishing on Sunday. You hear me? I'm fishing and I'm worshiping. I just think so many of those guys, good old guys, they're just, that boat's going to take them straight to hell. We were made to worship the Lord, together and to sing his praise. I don't know how many times I walked into on Sunday morning just not feeling great or discouraged about something, but I walk into that church in Rogers First Baptist Church and that choir gets up in there and start to sing. And I want to tell you before it's over, I'm just wanting to, I'm just wanting to die and go to heaven right then. I just get so excited about the presence of the Lord and the, and the worship of the Lord through praise. You praising your way to bless. You know, what destroys fear? Magnifying God in praise. That, that just knocks the socks out of 
fear. It's hard to be afraid and fearful when you're just calling out the greatness of God, worshiping in his name. Hallelujah. Uh, so that place that was designed by Satan to be the absolute annihilation of Judah, meant by Satan to be the valley of death. You know what they name it? The valley of blessing. Because Satan's bands, his armies are destroyed and they carry away the loot. That's the way God works. He wants to bless us. He wants to put us on a pathway of peace that prays that leads to blessing. Remember last week I told you about the sweet little couple sat over here in our church and they came and came and came, never said a word. And then one Sunday night she stood up to speak. It was a result, we now believe, of men, godly men, just laying themselves out and praying Saturday night after Saturday night after Saturday night until one Saturday night she, she pushed away her medication and said, we're going to church. And, and they, that little couple showed up that week and they stood up to give a testimony that Sunday night, how their son had drowned, remember? She was bitter and angry and saw those kids that had been swimming with her boy walk by and she was so angry and so bitter. couple divorced got remarried, got medicated, swept it away, showed up at church, stood that Sunday night to give her testimony. Our church was never the same. Never the same. And she was, she was never the same. That, that countenance changed on that woman from morose and broken to a blessed woman of God with hope and the future. I, I want to tell you the rest of the story. We came back several years later when we were on furlough from the mission field. And uh, they say, you never guess what happened to J.C. And I think her name was Virginia. Never guess what happened to them. A couple moved in next door to them. They had a little baby boy. The wife came over with the baby and she said, Miss Virginia, I got to go back to work. And I'm looking for somebody to keep my baby boy for me. Would you, would you be willing to do that? She said, in a minute. <laughs> and so every morning, that little baby got deposited in her arms. And the months passed, and the years passed. And Virginia and J.C. became grandparents of that little boy. And they have raised up that little boy in their home week by week. Is God good? Does he know how to move us? into blessing that's not the end of her story that's not the end of their story because listen the blessing we all await is is one final irrevocable blessing one day all her tears will be wiped away there'll be no more mourning no more crying no more death and one day she's going to see Jesus face to face and she's going to look over her shoulder and there's going to be her boy. You understand that? The blessing we're moving to is eternal. Can you see it? Could you praise God for that? 